Hi. Um, I can't find any red Bibles, I'm afraid, but the reading is... Oh, I just wanted to give a page number. Uh, thank you. It's 50, page 1500 in red Bibles. Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 17. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, page 1500, if you have a church Bible. Oh, yeah, if you want one, Nick's got some, if you want to put your hand up. Verses 1 to 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of El- Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Methan, Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Thanks for reading, Corinne. I think she deserves a round of applause. (laughs) But but I think it was Akim, not... No, I'm joking. (laughs) All right. If, um, if nothing else, the coming of Jesus at Christmas is all about salvation. That much is clear from the name that Jesus is given, Jesus, or Yeshua, meaning God saves. The angel tells Joseph in the verses just following what we've read, you must give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so before the days of ultrasound, Mary and Joseph learned that they're having a boy, uh, they're also saved from the, the stress of having to choose a name, Jesus. And they're given a pretty clear idea of what their boy is going to grow up to do. Uh, we've had a couple of babies born in the church family this, this week. And it's always exciting when a new baby is born and everyone wonders what they're going to grow up to become. Uh, will they be kind and glamorous like their mother? Or will they be big-nosed and stubborn like their grandmother? <laughs> that is saying nothing to um, Winona or William's 
grandmother. I'm considering using that joke on Christmas Eve. Do tell me if you think it crosses the line. <laughs> Mary and Joseph's boy is literally going to save the world. As the Queen said in her 2011 Christmas address, God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Jesus comes into the world as God to save. He comes with divine authority to save people from their sins. But he doesn't arrive out of the blue. And that's what this first section of Matthew's Gospel makes clear. These verses are often skipped over in the Christmas services because it's kind of a long genealogy of unpronounceable names. And people don't really know what to do with it. What's the point? Matthew includes this family tree to show us Jesus didn't appear out of the blue. There's a much bigger picture for us to take in. Matthew wants to show that Jesus is right at the heart of God's plans for the world. That Jesus is the one the world has been waiting for. The genealogy traces the story of the Old Testament, all the way from Abraham down through the generations to Jesus. And recognizing this Old Testament background, I think, helps us understand more of what it means for Jesus to be the Savior. So Matthew gives us a headline statement for this genealogy in verse 1, and we're really going to spend our time here. Verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew wants us to understand Jesus is a descendant of David and a descendant of Abraham. And you haven't got a handout today, I apologize for that, but kind of two main points today. Firstly, as the descendant, as the son of Abraham, Jesus is the one who brings God's blessing to the world. And then secondly, as the son of David, Jesus is God's chosen rescuing king. So firstly, Jesus is the son of Abraham. He's the one who brings God's blessing to the whole world. So verse 2 again. Abraham was the father of Isaac, of Judah, and his brothers, and so on. We're, we're in the book of Genesis, aren't we? This is where this is recorded. And if you remember the kind of potted his history of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world, creates us in his image. Genesis 3, humanity rebels. And then Genesis 4 onwards um, describes, catalogues the disastrous consequences of that rebellion. You remember Cain and Abel and the flood, the Tower of Babel. And then in Genesis 12, God intervenes and makes remarkable promises to a guy called Abram. So from Genesis 12, God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God promises to bless despite humanity's treatment of him. And this blessing is not just for Abraham and his descendants. No, God promises to bring blessing to the whole world through Abraham's offspring. And the rest of the Bible, if you like, is the outworking of those promises, telling the story of how God kept his words. And this family tree is showing us how down through the generations, God has been faithful to his promise. Now, did you notice as the genealogy was read, how many women are mentioned 
in this family tree. That's an unusual addition to a first century genealogy. And there are a couple of significant things about these women. The first is that they're all outsiders. They're all Gentiles. Tamar was a Canaanite, so was Rahab. Ruth was from Moab. And Bathsheba was the unnamed wife of Uriah, the Hittite. They're all outsiders, and they've all got stories that would make the front page of any gossip magazine. Tamar was Judah's widowed daughter-in-law. Try and get your head around that who disguised herself as a prostitute in order to get Judah to sleep with her so that she could have offspring. And yet her twin sons are here in this genealogy, the sons born from that match. Uh, Rahab was a cult prostitute from Jericho, and the abuses done to her don't bear thinking about. Ruth was also a widow who accompanies her mother-in-law Naomi from Moab back to Israel, Ruth actually acts with great integrity and is married to Boaz. And then the infamous Bathsheba, who David saw bathing on the roof, and one thing led to another, including adultery and murder. It's a pretty messy kind of ancestral line, isn't it? Matthew seems to be making the point, Jesus hasn't just come for sinners, he's come from sinners. And Matthew's written Jesus' genealogy with what and all. And there's plenty more if you dig into the stories of some of the men mentioned. You know, Jesus doesn't come from a squeaky clean line of saints. He comes into the mess of the world to deal with the mess of the world. And so if we know that our lives are a bit messy, if our lives are not as they should be, here is good news. Matthew is showing us through this genealogy and the inclusion of these women how the promise of Abraham is for all people. It always has been. See, Christmas is not only for the religious or the respectable or the people who come from the right families. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is for everyone. Outsiders, people whose lives are a bit of a mess. It's good news of great joy for all people. Maybe it's worth asking ourselves, which outsiders are we going to share that good news with this Christmas? By identifying Jesus as the son of Abraham, Matthew's saying that Jesus is the one through whom God's promised blessing is brought to the world. He is the offspring of Abraham. He's the true Israel through whom God's blessings come. That's what you see in the life of Jesus that Matthew goes on to record. I love the way Glenn Scrivener describes it. Jesus is like a, a little oasis of paradise walking around. Everywhere he goes, he, he forgives sins, he heals the sick, he feeds the hungry, he cleanses the unclean, he liberates those who are enslaved. In the presence of Jesus, everything that is broken gets fixed. He's like a personal garden of Eden putting the world right, restoring the blessing of God to a fallen world. At the end of the service, world, and the third verse says, he comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. See, Jesus came to bring God's blessing to every cursed corner of this fallen world. In Revelation 21, God says, see 
I am making everything new. Isn't that a wonderful hope? Paul Tripp says that Christ's grace has been unleashed and its work will not be done until every last sin-broken thing has been fully and completely made new again. At Christmas, we celebrate the arrival of the blessing bringer, the son of Abraham, through whom God's blessing is come to the world. Good news of great joy for all people. Secondly, Jesus is the son of David. He's God's chosen rescuing king. Let's read again from verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was God's man, a man after God's own heart, chosen by God, anointed to be the king. And you remember the stories of how he defeated Goliath, the many military victories that he won, how he established Jerusalem, and how under his rule secured great prosperity and peace for the nation of Israel. David was a great king, but certainly not perfect, as the incident with Bathsheba makes clear. But at this point in the story, God gives another significant promise of how he's going to complete his plan. To David, God said this in 2 Samuel 7, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so from David on, we're, we're looking for this promised king, this king who will reign forever. And so after David comes Solomon, who's um, a king who enjoys great wisdom and wealth, and there's really a, a golden age for the nation. But although he starts his rule well, it ends very badly. He didn't live God's way. He didn't lead as God would have him. He was clearly not the one promised. And so we read on, and Matthew then follows the line of kings, one after another. Some are better than others, but on the whole, they seriously fail to lead God's people in God's ways. It gets so bad that God has to intervene. He judges the nation. He, um, they lose possession of the land, and they're taken into exile in Babylon, as we read. And that was a time of real heartache and soul-searching for God's people. It was very clear that there's a problem, problem between God and humanity that we cannot fix. And during this time of exile, that the promises of the descendant of David, this Messiah, develop further. He's the one who will fix the problem. He's the one who will bring salvation. He's the one who will restore God's blessing to the world. And so we read on, and eventually the people are brought back to the land, out of exile. But it's obvious this is not the salvation that was promised. This is not the full restoration that was promised. And so the Old Testament ends and we're left waiting, waiting for the promises to be fulfilled. Uh, this morning I got up early, foolishly, to watch England playing in the World Cup. And if you don't know, they got knocked out, as they always seem to do in the quarterfinals. And so the nation has to wait another four years for the chance to see football come home. 
And next time the World Cup comes around, it'll be 60 years since England last won. 60 years of waiting. Well, God's people were waiting for the Messiah far longer, for centuries. When the Old Testament ends, there are then 400 years of silence. And the people are left waiting, wondering, do the promises still stand? Is God going to be faithful and keep his promises? And yet over that time, through the silence, the line of David continues. I mean, those names at the end, you're probably not familiar with at all because they're not recorded, really. But the line of David quietly continues, descendant after descendant, until it brings us at last to one born in the most exceptional way. I mean, this of uh, remarkable births, but here at the end is the most extraordinary of all. So Jesus is the son of David, and by identifying him as such, Matthew is saying Jesus is the long-promised king, God's chosen rescuing king. He, he has the mark of authenticity. He's a true descendant of King David. The wait is over. The Messiah is here, the one who's come to put things right and to rescue God's people and to rule over them with righteousness and peace. You can imagine Matthew's first readers thinking, are you really saying that Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for all these long years? So this genealogy shows that Jesus doesn't arrive out of the blue, but he comes as the fulfillment of centuries of promise. Jesus' arrival, in a sense, marks the end, the end of all that longing, all that expectation, all that waiting. But Jesus' arrival also marks the beginning, the beginning of something new. If you look again at verse 1, that phrase that Matthew uses, the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, you may remember, if you know the book of Genesis well, back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the same phrase that's used here in Matthew 1. It could be translated, this is the genealogy of the heavens and the earth. And that phrase is repeated about 10 times through the book of Genesis. So in chapter 5, this is the genealogy of Adam. This is the genealogy of Noah. This is the genealogy of Abraham. And now Matthew says this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Humanity had one start with Adam and things went horribly wrong. Now there's a fresh start and a new beginning. Adam's line ended in sin and death. Sin and death. Sin and death. Now Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The wait is over. The Messiah is here. And we're to read on in Matthew to meet the one who is the son of Abraham, bringing to fulfillment all that God has promised, bringing his blessing to the whole world. We're to read on to meet the one who is the son of David, the rescuing king we desperately need. And we're to read on to meet in these pages Jesus, the king who is alive today and invites all to come to him 
and receive and enjoy the abundant blessings of God's. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time of year and the opportunity to remember and celebrate the wonderful arrival of your Son, the Lord Jesus, into the world. Thank you that he doesn't arrive out of the blue, but comes as the fulfillment of years and centuries of promise, of expectation, of waiting. Thank you for what Matthew makes clear here, that Jesus is the Son of Abraham, through whom your blessing comes into the world. Thank you for that hope that we have, that 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 blessing will flow and continue to spread to every sin-cursed corner of this world. And thank you that Jesus comes as the son of David, the long-promised Messiah, the, the rescuing king who comes to save us from our sins. Help us this Christmas to be full of joy in his coming and full of boldness to share him with others. We pray in his name. Amen.